Welcome to your success tonic. If you're ready to explore what it would mean to step into your boldest, most exciting vision of success, then you're in the right place. Today, I am delighted to welcome Cameron onto the podcast to talk to you about gendered ageism and making the invisible visible. Cameron Huben is in the business of helping others create extraordinary change. Through her coaching practice and through her podcast, 50 Not Dead, Cameron works with women to uncover their core identity and crash through barriers. With a background in international consumer goods operations, Adidas, Coach, Brahmin, Cameron understands what makes good motivational leadership and what doesn't. She's committed to helping women in their 50s advance into high-level leadership positions in alignment with their core values. She combines co-active coaching, mental fitness coaching, positive intelligence, and adult ADHD techniques in a unique approach that produces results in increased self-confidence, clarity of direction, and the ability for her clients to transform. Welcome, Cameron. I am delighted that you're here with me today. Oh, Natalie, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. The episodes I've listened to already are so inspirational, and I'm oh. I'm up against a, a, a pretty stellar crew, so I'm <laughs> really thrilled to be here. Oh, it's such such a pleasure, and I'm so happy that you're here, and I invited you today because... Um, we have so much in common and we are both recovering overachieving workaholics and we have a lot to say about how that can erode your sense of self, right? Absolutely. And and how that can keep you really stuck, you know, trying to prove that you're worthy of respect and validation. You know, we've, we've connected over that a lot. And I love your podcast as well and how it talks about making the invisible visible, can you tell me a little bit more about that idea to kick us off and, and how that came about? Sure, I would be thrilled to. So I turned 50 in November and uh, it was, you know, for me, you know, my business is going well. I feel like I have all of this potential and I, that I'm really just getting started on the second the, the the second career, like and that the runway is really long and the opportunities are really vast, which makes me really happy. And at the same time, so I'm, you know, on one hand, I have this great, you know, this great excitement. And at the same time, society is telling me that, oh, when a woman hits 50, she's all done. Mm -hmm. She's you know, she's no longer going to be put up for promotion if she hasn't made it already in, in um, corporate situation uh, that women in their 50s are just that they're set in their ways, that they're 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 just coasting, waiting to uh, retire and play tennis or play pickleball or just hang out with their grandkids, which is one really different than my feeling of what this is. And then in addition to that, I was also hearing women starting to tell me, especially during the pandemic, and these were senior level women that had been laid off or affected um, in their jobs during the pandemic, um, that they were feeling like that they would never be hired again, that they might never work again. 
And my thought was like, well, why? Like you, like this pandemic is happening to all of us. Why would you be singled out as not hireable? Mm-hmm. And what I kept hearing was, well, you know, I haven't interviewed in a long time. I've grown through my company. I've been lucky to kind of move up the ladder, but now I'm competing against a much younger workforce and it's really scary and hard. And and my response to that was like, wow, well, I can certainly understand it, but like, oh my God, that sucks. Like to work this hard to get this far and then feel like, that you're just, that you're, because of your age, that you can no longer have fresh ideas. And I have, I started to dig into that to see like, how, how are we looking at women in their 50s? Mm -hmm. How do women in their 50s feel? And it has been just such a pleasure and a treat to get to talk to these women because the stories are vast and varied. And there are things to uncover and and like the 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 part that people talk about but the part that people don't talk about too and that has just been i mean the point of my podcast is to give them a platform for basically the good the bad and the ugly mm-hmm. of of being a woman in her 50s mm-hmm. yeah like you said there's there's all the different aspects of it there is this amazing new chapter that opens up when we really in or full potential in many ways and then there's also just all this societal load that we have to carry at the same time absolutely and it's you know it's funny because it is so layered um you know we're i think our generation especially you know has been taught from a very young age you know you mentioned earlier right this striving striving hyper achieving perfectionism (laughs) you know and we're from really young you know it's like oh you know, yeah. you know, do, you know, be perfect, yes. <laughs> be more, do more. Yes. And we embrace that in, for some of us in every single sense of like, okay, I have to look perfect. I have to act perfect. I have to have the perfect grades. I need to have the perfect job. I need to marry the perfect person. Mm-hmm. And it's so unattainable because then you just raise the bar higher and higher. And I think that what I'm finding anyway, is that Right when I started to get close to the 50 mark was when I really started to question myself of like, what? <laughs> okay, like there's still some work that I need to do to get past this. Mm-hmm. And if, if not now, when? Like, right. you yes. know, I, and yes. like, this is the time. And, you know, I, I'm in a situation where I have, um, I don't have a baby at home but I have a young child at home she's 12 um so I'm a working mom um my parents are still alive and they're still um thankfully in good health but I'm in that you know we're both in that generation where there's the chance that we'll be taking care of both at some point and I think we get to this situation to this point in our lives where we're like huh yeah perfection forget it like you know and and this idea that you know again with with looks with weight with achievement and all of these things it gets to be just a real mind mess and I think that then shedding it all and then like taking a puzzle and like tossing it up in the air letting the pieces fall everywhere but then getting a chance to kind of rebuild it into a new picture yeah so one interesting parallel in our work is that 
I talk a lot about redefining success in ways that are empowering and energize us and carry us forward into an exciting vision. And you talk about redefining age and aging in a way that's empowering and allows us to move forward in completely different ways and bringing that awareness to how we feel about age and questioning our assumptions about that. It's such a necessary conversation because I think the more that I've connected with people around this topic, the more I hear, oh, yes, you know, that is how I feel too. What has been your response to launching this podcast and this idea out into the world? Well, one, it's like, oh, my goodness. What I liken it to is like, okay, if you maybe you never see a yellow car on the road. And then all of a sudden you buy a yellow car and then you're like, oh my God, yellow cars are everywhere. (laughs) It it was like, you know, I became really passionate about this idea around women in their fifties when, again, when this convergence, Mm -hmm. right. Of like, for myself, like I was turning 50, my favorite clients were doing these great things and they were in in their fifties. And all of a sudden And so when I started the podcast and, you know, it's like 50, not dead, I wasn't sure if I would, you know, was that, is that going to be offensive? (laughs) People, do people want to even associate with that? Is it going to feel like a target, right? Like a lot of women, I mean, we've been taught, right? I mean, how many of our mothers, aunts, grandmothers, like, you know, talk about celebrating their 39th birthday for like the 15th time. Yeah, Um, And what I found is that there seems to be an just a, an emergence of awareness around this topic that is happening at the same time. And again, I don't know if it is just that all of a sudden I'm driving. I don't really have a yellow car, but you know yeah, what I mean. I <laughs> but like all of a sudden, because I'm talking about it, I'm seeing it, and and algorithms work a certain way. Yeah. But it does seem like people are ready for this conversation, and they're embracing it in a way that I have been completely overwhelmed by. In fact, I started recording podcasts and I I did a bunch in a row because I was so afraid. I'm like, well, what if I don't have people that want to be on it? I don't want to have like dead weeks. And instead, I'm in this fantastically lucky position of it's a golden key. It is literally a golden key because I have, I, I just put up episode 15 yesterday so not too far congratulations thank you but I have like 37 that are complete (laughs) that I just have to post produce and I'm completely booked for additional conversations and it's making me actually really try and be more and more thoughtful of like how can I use this platform for good you know and for it's really was you know initially meant to just be like okay like oh my gosh you're you're 50 you're not dead really like like a a place for women to come and share stories of you know look at what I did at 54 look at how many businesses have been launched and been very very successful when women are in their 50s in their 60s and beyond and I wanted to be able to highlight that and at the same time some of the stories especially with all of the layoffs that we've been having. I mean, I've had some really heart-wrenching stories of like where women feel like, well, I turned 50 and I was basically walked out the door. I mean, there's always some kind of, from a legal perspective, there's it's a restructure, right? Um, But it's, you know, and it was, and it's just like, that is just garbage. And so 
now with it's almost like I'm on top of a tidal wave and I, I feel like a cartoon character running as fast as I can to make sure that I harness this in the way to make the best impact possible. And so it's, it's evolving as we speak. I love that. That's amazing. It's like you've tapped into something really critical and that you're doing that, responding to something that's really needed. So it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, you know, for me now, it's just really like I, I want to make sure I do it justice because there is clearly a need. And I mean, we we're going to be I mean, at 50 now. It's like I don't have any like retirement. Also, I think the idea of retirement has really changed. Yeah. One, because unless you've been investing really heavily since you were about 12 years old. You are, you can't just retire at 50 in most cases. I mean, some, some people are, are really lucky or they have pensions that somehow yeah. survived the demise of pension and they can retire and do whatever it was that they dreamt of. But I think for a lot of us, there's two things. One, we can't afford to just stop working. Like, you know, full social security doesn't kick in until you're 70. So that's 20 years away. And I also think, too, I mean, as we are in as we are in this, you know, connected global society, there's so much opportunity for us to continue to develop ourselves and to learn and to do and to have impact. I don't think of retirement in that same way. You know, I want to think of ways in which we can continue to, again, what I just said, grow, learn and have impact. Mm hmm. This idea that it's time to retire from the world, you know, like pull back from the world, specifically at a time when we can really make a positive impact. And there's a need, there's a need for us to share our voices. And I think it's a critical, critical time for that to happen. If we've always thought of aging as a bad thing, it does affect how we see the world and how we interact with other people. And so it affects you know, personal decisions like I don't want to go to that event. I may be the the only person of a certain age. I might not be accepted. I might not, you know, it's it starts to kind of impinge on your freedom. And I think that, you know, the women have this real double whammy because there's ageism and sexism. It plays in, I think, in my experience, very tightly together. So, you know, when we're young, we're told we're too, we're too young, right? We don't understand because we're too young. Yeah. And then we get experience and then we're too old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're good for like a hot minute. And it's yeah. like, you know, and if you have children in there somewhere, it's mm-hmm. just like, you get the experience. Oh my goodness. Well then I don't know. Are we going to hire her? Are we going to promote her? Because what if she has a baby? Yeah. What if she needs to take maternity leave or take that kid to the doctor? And yeah. it's just like oh my gosh, right? And then all of a sudden you're 40 and it's like, "Mm, I don't know, can you relate to our target market? And it's like, well, it depends on what market you're talking about, right? And two things. One, there's a huge market in our age bracket that people should not ignore because they're just silly if they do. And second, there's nothing that says that I can't learn just as quickly about the mar- whatever market I would need to learn in a certain in a certain age group, right? It's like, yes, I might I might not be the most your perfect candidate to represent a skate park. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how to do that. But 
could I direct a team and have them go and do all the research and help harness their excitement and help give structure to their uh, innovation? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And I think one of the areas that's completely undervalued is for these young women coming into the workplace, when there are not female leaders, mature women who have experience and who can mentor and also just show what it what it is to be a powerful person doing an amazing job, I think that, the, that you create this huge empty space with no role models. So what happens is these young women are then having to emulate or turn to other role models. And usually that's older men, right? And, mm-hmm. and so eliminating role models is, I think, a huge factor in preventing women from advancing. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is such a huge impact, you know, certainly in my experience. Have you had that experience? Did you have older leadership to look up to when you were in your 20s or in the organizations you were in? Oh, that's these are such good, juicy questions. So first of all, I want to go back just for one second about when you mentioned sexism and ageism being so tightly related. Yeah. I often get on my show when I'm doing kind of a pre-call with somebody where it's so intertwined that it's mm-hmm. that people have an almost impossible time pulling it apart. So it's yes. just like, I don't know. I don't know if it was because of my age or because I was a woman, but I was screwed either way, right? right? And so I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, And then the idea of women advancing um, and having role models um, that believe in them and that help them emulate um, positive, empathetic, true leadership. uh, I think, so I have have two cool things to say and I don't want to forget (laughs) Um, I'm going to make a little note. Yeah. So in my 20s, my first real role model to help me as a leader actually was a white man. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting at the time. I think I was such a workaholic. Yeah. I mean, I would just literally work, work and work and work. Yes. And it was respected because I, I did all the stuff that you're not supposed to do. I came to work sick. I worked with some kind of Asian mumps. I worked with worms. I mean, I worked overnight, not anything that I would advise anyone to do. But luckily for me, in that case, I did have somebody that at least recognized, geez, this woman is working her ass off. And I don't think that he cared that I was a woman. I really think that he Uh just saw this person is working really hard and working really hard to make a difference. At the same time, interestingly enough, so there was a powerful man in the office and there was a powerful woman. So as the powerful woman in the office, she was, everyone was terrified of her because she was so mean. I mean, like literally, and this was back in the day when you could get away with really being mean, (laughs) but she would, you know, put people in. We had this glass office, so it was not private. But you could be pulled into the glass office and screamed at and have stuff thrown at you um, if you had done something wrong. And it was incredibly confusing. You know, I was in my 20s. I was living overseas. I had never, you know, at that time, I hadn't had very many role models of, of any kind in a work environment. And it was very confusing. So it was just like, well, 
am I supposed to be a big raging bitch? Like, is that how you do it? Because that is so not me. I have to tell you, I mean, when you are kind of prescribed or steeped in a certain way, good or bad can rub off on you. And you have to be really, really strong. And I think to know to question every step of the way from as young as you can possibly wrap your arms around it, what do you stand for? Mm. It's mean, bitchery, <laughs> what you want to stand for, because ultimately that's not going to get you very far. But there was definitely some times where I'm like, okay, is that the way you do it? Like, you know, and I'm, it's embarrassing to admit that now. Later in my career, I worked for a wonderful woman. And I would say that she was the type of leader that I aspired to be. She was, and what made her, for me, like this hero type of leader was she brought so many of her own ideas to the table and worked so hard herself to flesh them out and then brought us as a senior leadership team together to like flesh them out like then to validate okay is this the right way is this not the right way and so she did a ton of her own thought work herself and like put so much energy into it where it was for me really leading by example of like Mm -hmm. I'm going to come to the table I'm going to do a lot of my own thought work. And then I'm going to, I'm going to depend on my experts because at that point I was a subject matter expert and my, my counterpart was a subject matter expert. I was in footwear sourcing and she was in apparel sourcing Mm -hmm. and our boss was ahead of both of us and we did product costing. And this woman, uh, her name is Kathleen Peterson, was amazing at really thinking through and putting through new ideas, new um, cutting edge changes in our company, but then asking for our input and like really listening. And I felt so empowered because she would tell me, I mean, she would just say, look, I don't know that area. So I'm going to just need your input. I'm going to need you to handle this. But because she had done so much of, you know, she had helped me understand her vision and had asked for our buy-in in terms of was it feasible? Did it make sense? How did we feel about it? How do we think our people on the ground in different countries would feel about it? I felt very, very lucky. And she, what was then very telling is that uh, we were working at a very big international company and she and one other woman, the other woman has been on my podcast already. They were the two most senior women in operations at that time as senior vice presidents. They were both let go in a reorganization. And I just thought, wow, the writing's on the wall. Women aren't going to make it very far here. Um, And it was crushing to me to see her get let go and see the men that got to stay. Because in that case, we were working in a very young company. We were in the athletic industry and she was was probably 42. And she had a young family. And so, but people already viewed her as a little bit older. Um, but the fact that she was pushed out to me was just like this heartbreaking, terrible thing. And I had learned so much from her, which for me was really, you know, like lead by example. Like if you're going to ask somebody to work really hard, do your own hard work first, but then let them run. Because like I was so happy working for her because I believed in what I was doing. I knew that what I was doing had an impact. I knew it made sense. And I, and I was seen. I mean, she totally appreciated what I did. 
And it's the kind of leader that I wanted to emulate and be as I moved forward. So I was pretty lucky in that sense. Oh, and I said there were two things. When you talked about, you know, where is that? What do we do when there's a void? If you're in a company and (laughs) all the senior women have been let go or there aren't any senior women, um, the ones that are there have been been taught during the mean streak type. And you're just like, oh, God, (laughs) there is a really cool organization being formed that I will just give a little bit of a shout out to Um, a a woman named Lise Hardy is forming an organization for mentorship for women and underserved individuals so that if you don't have a mentor within your company, you can go to this other organization and be paired with a mentor in your field. Hmm. And it's just getting It's just getting going. It's just getting off the ground. But I think it's going to be really amazing so that there are, you know, there are people out there that recognize exactly what you recognize, Natalie, is like, what do we do if that mentorship isn't there? If you are, if you're a woman and want mentorship, I mean, it's one thing. Think if you're a woman of color and want mentorship, like, where do you look to? Um, And, and Lise is really with her organization trying to build a huge network of mentors. And I can see, I see her active on LinkedIn right now because of with all of the layoffs that have happened in tech, she's reaching, I see her reaching out to leaders. How would you like to be a mentor in this time of transition? And I think it's going to be a really cool thing so that there, you know, there are people, you know, like you, like me, like Lisa, that that are seeing the need for that and trying to help fill the void. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is such an important and interesting point that you just made as well, which is there's there is quite a lot of awareness right now about diversity and inclusion, but only a few companies include age in their diversity and inclusion initiatives, despite that massive increase in ageism and, and talent shortages, right? There are massive talent shortages out there. I think I read somewhere that it's about 8% of companies list age as a dimension of diversity. So, you know, if you've got, you know, all these elements coming together, that's, I think that ageism has to come into it as well. I think it's so, so key. And there are so many resources that we're cutting ourselves off from when we have these firm cutoffs, you know, oh, well, you're over 50, you're not going to be able to get a job. You know, you're just, you're just going to have to figure it out on your own. (laughs) Or do not put your age on your resume. Do not mention the years of experience you have. Downplay your age. You gotta, you know, it's it's sad. Yeah. And I agree. I'm surprised. I actually I don't know if I'm surprised or not. I mean, eight percent, that's a terribly low number. It is. <laughs> and I love that you know that number because there are in addition to it only being eight percent that even include it, the generation coming after us. Mm-hmm. There's so much fewer of them coming into the workforce than all of us that could potentially, if we leave, if all of us were to leave in one just big fell swoop and said, okay, forget it. You don't want us. We're going to go start our own thing. Yeah. We, you know, we're just, we're fed up. We're done. Or, you know, yeah, we're, you don't value me. So yeah. I like to your point, the labor shortage will be enormous. There will be a huge vacuum. And I fully agree that age should be part of that. Like, why wouldn't you want a diverse group? Why would you like new? It's like, you know, you would never advise somebody to only buy fast fashion, right? Because it's like, 
okay, it's new and it's cool for 10 minutes, but then, okay, then you need the next new thing, right? Like you might say, oh yeah, have some fast fashion in your wardrobe uh, because yeah, that's fun and it's less expensive Mm -hmm. and it is um, maybe like on trend right now and knows the latest, newest, hottest, greatest thing. But you're also going to want to have, you know, if we make that same analogy, right? You're going to want to have your tried and true. You're going to want to have your true classics and you're going to want to have the ones, the the, the pieces that you totally invest in, yes. right? And if you round that whole thing out, then it's like, if you look at a wardrobe like you would um, an organization, yeah, right? I mean, it's like, yes, of course, you're going to have to clean house sometimes that, you know, to keep it ultimately fresh, but it doesn't mean throw it all out and, and start with only new because it's not sustainable. So it's, it's also not how we build value, right? Right. That piece of fast fashion isn't going to be the classic in your wardrobe and it isn't going to bring that level of continuity and story, that thing that you can only wear a few times. But in terms of people, we have this, this tremendous resource you know, we have the talent shortage, but we also have like the fastest growing labor pool, which is older employees. And so it's just literally like this tremendous resource that's just just not being tapped into. It's just, just a ridiculous shame. And just absolutely. And and to your point, it's such a shame. And it's it's such a tax on people's psyche. Yes. And then just mathematically it, it and monetarily, it makes yes. no sense. You know, it's yes. just like like it just isn't sustainable at all. And, you know, and we really hurt ourselves if we exactly. end somebody's career in an attempt. Often what happens, right, especially with publicly traded companies. And like, you know, we a lot of us have worked in those big companies and we know, right, that, you know, shareholders are the ultimate, you know, kind of end all be all. And it's tough. It's tough to manage in that kind yeah. of environment because you have to you have to show that you can manage your money and make smart decisions. And unfortunately, one of the fastest ways to make an impact is to say, okay, well, if I cut, you know, Mm -hmm. 15 heads or 50 heads or 150 or a thousand or 15,000. And it's just like, oh my God, it's just gutting. I mean, like you are gutting people's lives. And I think that though I understand from a financial perspective and like, and that, in some cases, like we've well, got to keep the thing alive so that they can employ anyone. But when it's so up and down, you know, it's just like, okay, we're getting, yep, we're just going to get rid of some employees. And it's just like, it sucks for the ones that lose their job. And it sucks for the ones that are left because usually I've never heard of a case of like, oh, yes, you're the workload, of course, is now less. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, no, now you just took on three times the work because, you know, you were lucky enough to survive. So now you have nothing to you've nothing to negotiate with and your workload just got so much heavier. It's just a nightmare. Um, It's a I think short sighted and that people should be the idea of human capital Hmm. needs to just be, I mean, like held as in such with such grace and with such um intention and thoughtfulness because it's it really is I mean it's people's lives it's not just the bottom line and you can just destroy somebody's self-worth somebody's mental health somebody's family somebody's ability to send their 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 kids to school I mean and it's just um you know and and I don't mean to say that 
big corporate just makes these decisions without any thought. I know that thought goes into it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that thought isn't conveyed very clearly, you know, to the people that are working there who are just like on edge, on edge, on edge, on edge, and then let go. And they're like, whoa, I didn't see that. I didn't know that it would be me. And I I have a friend who was let go right before Christmas. And then the HR person contacted her at the new year to talk about the severance that hadn't been given yet, had gotten lost in the shuffle. And she was just like, so I hope you had a wonderful holiday with your family. And she was, my friend was like, are you freaking crazy? Like I had to go home and tell them like, you know, like pull the brakes on everything. You know, as a chief breadwinner, she was just like, yeah, speechless. Yeah. It is a tangled, a tangled thing. And the the human part of what makes a company is, um, I mean, everybody knows it, right? I mean, everybody knows your employees are everything, Mm -hmm. but knowing it and acting on it clearly are totally different things. Yes. Yes. It's not, it's not easy to prioritize when, when you're in a crunch, right? Uh, But it is. I agree with you. I think that there needs to be a, a change in how we think about that, that this, that our people are our most valuable resource, mm-hmm. not the most expendable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to be thinking about it all the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, like when you're, yeah. when you're hiring like crazy, be really, really thoughtful. And when you're, you know, you know, in all the times, you know, when things are good, be really, really thoughtful mm-hmm. so that when things aren't so good, that the, the only answer isn't to let people go, you right. know, and that the only answer then isn't, well, they probably want, you know, they probably are ready to retire anyway. And it's like, because yes, in some cases, some might be because maybe it's been a bit terrible place to work. And they're like, well, thank God. Yeah, exactly. But it's certainly not the case for everyone. No. And um, I've met so many people where it's just so many women, especially where it's just, been crushing you know and the first thing that we work on then is just like okay your value your job does not equal you and your value does not equal this role in this in this job and you are absolutely employable you bring so much to the table you know we just need to you know infuse you with that belief because it's hard to hold on to it when all of a sudden you're like well I don't know, can I compete with the, you know, the 26 year old who just got out of school that is, can run around me in coding or something. And it's just like, well, I mean, if you're in for a coding job, maybe not, you know, you might have to brush up on some stuff, but if you're in for a a senior management position, you know, show them that you can be the best damn senior manager they've ever seen, you know, and be prepared with good questions and, and examples of the impact that you've made and and really I think the hardest work and the first work is just recognizing that your value doesn't equal the company that you work for and that can be really hard especially if you love the company you work for or have have been you know find a lot of pride in that Mm -hmm. Um, you know so it's like a total double-edged sword yeah work for a place you love but then if it's all that you know if you put all your energy into it it can be really devastating if that is then no longer there. Yeah. So I would love to ask you at this point, how do you define success? And how has that definition evolved over time for you? 
we just had this question at the dinner table the other night. Oh, I love it. Okay. Um, and not because we have these big, deep conversations all the time, but I literally bought a box of cards. Oh, <laughs> like yeah, Dinner table like... conversation cards. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I define success now as being able to seek out people that want to work with me, mm. you know, where I am able to, it's not a collaboration in the sense of, and, and that I'm, I'm not a consultant, I'm a coach, but when I am able to work with somebody who is super excited about making change and they choose me and I choose them, you know, and we create something, you know, or they create something that I have been a part of in terms of just helping them get centered and ask the right questions. It's an incredible sense of success, of success as a human, of like, wow, look at what this person did. And, and I had a small piece in it. Yes. Um, and that is a completely different measure of success than I had 10 years ago, which was, I want to be a VP at a big company. I don't even know that I cared which one, <laughs> you right. know, I mean, that it was that that had been my measure that that was okay. That, that is a box that needs to be checked because that will have meant that from society's views or my own, my own view. Right. I mean, like maybe society didn't give a shit, but I thought of it, it was just what you'd taken on. Yeah. Was that that was going to be what it meant and it had nothing to do with being able to pick up my daughter after school mm -hmm. which I can do now and it's such on one hand it's such a small thing but on another it's huge because the first years of her life she was always dropped off first and she was picked up the very last I mean sometimes she'd be like you know out there with like the very last person at school, you know, like, mom, I'm always last, you know, and it's just so heartbreaking. And I missed, I missed some of that connection with her. I missed the cues of when, when she really needed me. You know, and believe me, I'm not perfect at seeing all those cues now with a preteen. I feel like I'm, I, I get the cues wrong all the time still, but at least I can go and she doesn't have to be last. And she, knows that I'm here, even if I'm working, but I'm working at home. And that is a measure of success that I never even, I didn't consider before. It just wasn't in my sights. I didn't think it was possible. And I'm still working on it. I mean, it's like, okay, I can pick her up. Okay. Then I still have to fight those workaholic tendencies. I'm like, okay, we'll take a five minute break, run upstairs. I mean, it's only upstairs at home, at home office. Mm -hmm. And, and see, uh, does she, you know, is she eating chips or is she eating carrots and hummus? <laughs> right? Like, you know, give her like at least a couple of healthy options to choose from, you know, or take two minutes and just be like, okay, now that you've decompressed, how was your day really? And I think that that it's a huge part of the success that's easy to forget, you know? And I mean, and of course I'm lying if I'm saying, you know, it's that, oh, that's the only success I need or want. You know, there's a part of me too that's like, oh yeah, I want to be able to impact a huge number of people. And I want to be able to, I would love to be able to, you know, I had tremendous support from my parents when I was growing up. And and even in the sense of like, if you hear my story on my website, they weren't perfect. <laughs> you know, we had our times and I was not a perfect teenager by any sense of anybody's imagination. But I would love to be in a position where I could 
make their lives easier. Both my parents worked really hard their entire lives and to get me ahead. And I would love to be in a financial position to be able to give back to them, you know, and to just make things a little easier, you know, do things as a family that were just like sometimes surprising, like, oh, let's just all, I don't know, go on vacation together and be able to foot the bill for that. So there's there's the monetary success that has has shifted Mm. also. I mean, it's like, yes, I still want to drive a 911 one day Um, (laughs) just because I think it would be really freaking fun. But it has evolved. It's not just about like kind of rank and file success of like trying to just get to the top of something Mm -hmm. and and being completely burnt out, but having ticked the box, which really for a long time, that was my definition. And in in my mind now, it's it's not a great definition. I, I'm much happier with the one I have now, which I mean, to be totally honest, Natalie is still evolving. Yes, yes, like, you know, still really evolving. Like what? Okay, what do I want this to look like? What you know? It's like okay, what do I want? You know, when I'm 70, what do I want to look back on and be like, oh, thank God I did that when I was 50. You know, because look at what that afforded us. Look what experience that afforded my family or my friends or myself to have. So yeah, still evolving. It is. I love that. And I think that the more conversations I'm having, the more of of these interviews I'm having with this podcast, the more I realize that it is a constantly evolving thing for everybody. And I do truly find it fascinating to see what different things people prioritize at different moments and why that is meaningful to them at at that stage of their journey. Mm. Uh, that's why I started this whole podcast because <laughs> I'm so yeah, I'm, and as, yeah as you're saying that I'm like oh my goodness you have to write a book about that yeah. <laughs> like just publish the line of that last question I mean because that is totally fascinating because I bet that there are some really really interesting evolutions yes. of that answer there are, yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just personal experience, we we see how that evolves. But then the more you tap in to other people's experience and, and you hear what the stories they have to share, I think it really highlights for me this idea that our story really points us in the direction of where we can make the most impact in the world. And so the more I listen, the more I'm, I'm noticing, because, you know, that's that's what I heard in, in your story today so much around these early experiences and how you had that early definition of success and these two different types of leaders who influenced you and your experiences in corporate and how that's created this new vision for you, for mm-hmm. yourself, your family, your clients, how that's formed you and your current definition of success. I loved listening to your story. So thank um, you for coming to share it with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. It what a pleasure and what a great conversation. That's really yes. <laughs> it makes me think, and it's it's fun to have conversations like this. It is it's so fun. It's one of the absolute delights of being able to do something like this. Thank you again so much for having me as a guest. I really really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Cameron. And before we wrap up, can you let listeners know where they can find you online if they want to follow up with you? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. So I'm on LinkedIn. I try to be fairly active there. So um, uh, Cameron Erickson Huban. And then I have a website, which is just CameronHuban.com. And that is, those are the best two places to find me. And then if you'd like to hear me more, 
if you've heard enough now, um, my podcast is called 50 Not Dead and it's on all major platforms. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you here today. And thank you to all of you who are listening. I am so glad you were able to be with us here today as well. Did you hear? I've just opened the doors to a very special challenge for you to help you become more confident about being visible. So this is a 30-day challenge where I'm inviting you to come along with me to show up online every day for 30 days. So I'm inviting you to come along with me as I do it. And I'm going to make it as fun as I can. And it's going to be all about elevating our energy. So for all of us doing this challenge, I believe it's going to be our best month yet. So if you want to join us, head on over to storytonic.co slash visible. And I cannot wait to see you inside.